Thanks for listening to the Creative Psychotherapist podcast. I am excited to share with you season two, episode seven. Today, I'm speaking with licensed mental health counselor and licensed professional counselor and EMDR therapist and consultant, Christy Pearl. And oh my gosh, you're going to want to listen to the entire episode. It's long, but it's so worth it. Christy really has uh, innovative ideas. And I think that the work that she's doing is really important because she's talking about how we recreate um, different kinds of relationships, not only in context of like, you know, who we commit to as you know, partners, but more how that plays into the relationship patterns that we have in our businesses. And oh my gosh, she like drops some just like aha kind of uh, statements that just, I don't know, it blew my mind. As you can tell, I'm having a hard time even describing it. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. Um, anyway, without further ado, listen, I hope you enjoy it and uh, we'll talk to you later. The Creative Psychotherapist is the official podcast of the Creative Clinician's Corner, a practice building resource for creative psychotherapists. TCP Podcast is the cast for creative, expressive, and experiential focused psychotherapists curious to learn how to design, build, and scale a thriving private practice. Your host, Raina Lombardi, interviews successful therapists about the tools and strategies they have used to develop creative focused practices. They also talk about the products, services, and side hustles they have developed using their knowledge and creativity to enhance their therapy practices, make a greater impact in their communities, and diversify their income streams. Welcome. Now here's your host, Raina Lombardi. Thanks so much for listening to the Creative Psychotherapist Podcast. I'm your host, Raina Lombardi, and I'm very excited to welcome my next guest. Her name is Christy Pearl, and she is a certified EMDR therapist and EMDR consultant in private practice in Massachusetts and Virginia. She specializes in EMDR intensives for adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families who are struggling with work stress and performance anxiety to create a healthier relationship with work so that they can be who they want to be today instead of who they had to be as children. Thank you so much for being here, Christy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. I love the, your, your mission of like helping people to shed that, um, role of who they had to play as children mm -hmm. in their lives. Um, mm -hmm. it's so powerful. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. Yeah. It, that phrase, you know, just came really naturally out of my own experience, my own lived experience, along with the work I've done with clients. It was something that I found myself saying a lot. Mm. Um, and so I decided to really highlight that because I, 
you know, who we had to be as children for a long time for me personally felt like something I couldn't shed. And so it, it didn't occur to me for a long time that I could be who I wanted to be now, who I was truly meant to be now. Um, and so I like drawing that contrast. And that's something that us EMDR therapists do a lot and probably a lot of therapists that practice other modalities too, that we're drawing a contrast between what was true back then and what is true in the here and now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I can be that. true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Redefining mm-hmm. it. You can be who you want to be. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We can be who we were meant to be before, you know, all the stuff happened, um, who we were, you know, we can be our truest self, our most authentic self. And that's really what I try to work on in myself. And that's what I try to work with my clients on. Mm-hmm. So what brought you to EMDR? Well, you know, I heard about it through, you know, a colleague um, back, you know, we're going back a ways now, (laughs) uh, back in the early 2000s. And, you know, it just, when I first heard about it, it sort of sounded like magic. Like, how can this be? You know, how, like, what is this this about? What do you mean? Because I only had the the context of, you know, talk therapy at that time. And, Mm -hmm. And so I heard about this this type of therapy where it's something about eye movements and and how it was kind of like scientific and brain-based and and I I just thought it sounded as someone who was used to very insight-based cognitive work it sounded so biological you know <laughs> and and I thought wow that's really interesting and you know I am a person who just naturally is drawn to the cutting edge, you know, I'm drawn to the new thing. I'm drawn to, um, you know, really kind of interesting and innovative ideas. And so, of course, when I heard that, I thought, oh, I need to look into this. And so, you know, I got trained in it. I decided to to do the basic training and I was sold. I I thought, you know, why aren't we all doing this? (laughs) Why there's so much Mm -hmm. suffering that's unnecessary? Why aren't we like everyone, you know, I kind of drank the Kool-Aid, like, you know, everyone should do this. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I agree. It is really, really powerful. And okay, it can be very intense, like mm-hmm. shockingly intense. Sometimes mm-hmm. it kind of catches you off guard, but mm-hmm. so powerful and it can move so quickly, like move you to this transformational moment so quickly. I've been doing it myself and mm-hmm. I, I love it. I wish I would have done it sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it, and it, you know, it's funny. You said like, it sounded like magic and it almost like does have a, a magical quality to it. Or maybe that's just because as an artist and an art therapist, I tend to have a very uh, rich um, uh, visual imagination. And mm-hmm. so for me, while I'm going through the process, it's like the, it's not that I'm having cognitive shift it's i'm having pic- pictorial shifts 
that are unfolding in this Mm -hmm. really incredible way that Mm -hmm. then sync up with the the felt sense of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's so cool. Mm -hmm. I think I, I, it's funny when I'm meeting with a new client and I'm talking with them because people usually have a lot of questions about it and they've heard things and, and I, I really try to avoid describing it as magical because I really want people to understand that it's, and, you know, I can get as woo as you want to be, but it's not woo. It's not no. magic. It's, it's science. It's biology. It's, it's actually, you know, really it's, it's logical when you have the information to think about how it works. But I think we underestimate the amount of our experience that we carry in our implicit memory. So Mm -hmm. people usually when they think about, you know, the things I remember, and this is one of the most common questions, what if I don't remember anything from my childhood? And of course, Mm -hmm. we, we know what that's about. That's about protection. The brain protected you from things that were overwhelming for you. And the younger that starts, the more implicit it is, the, the, the less you will remember because you're, you're, thinking brain has memory that has words and language and, you know, kind of cognitive understanding, but the other parts of your brain, you know, they have emotional memory, physical memory. Mm -hmm. Our our memory comes in different forms. It doesn't just come in cognitive memory that has words. So I think people don't really know that at first. And that is the part that feels magical when it's not really magical. It's simply the, the material, the, the experience that's been stored in those other parts of your memory that aren't explicit. They're implicit. um, If that makes sense. It does. You did such a great job describing it. Um, I, and I certainly wasn't meaning to say that it is magic because I don't think that it oh, is, but it, but it can feel like, but it, fe- yes, it, 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 yeah, it has that yes. feeling when you're doing it. Yeah. And I think when I, I, I appreciate the word because the relief that people feel mm-hmm. that feels magical, it feels magical when something you've been carrying and struggling with and blocking you from where you're trying to go in your life is in a matter of minutes sometimes yeah is is gone (laughs) yes that's amazing who wouldn't wouldn't say that's magical because it's like oh my god I can't believe my brain just boom 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 dealt with that when I've been trying to think my way out of that for years so true so true. And then once and can feel really magical. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting too, because the consequence of that processing out actually then really frees up the space to engage in more cognitive processes that are effective, uh, yes. but, but they weren't, yes. they were stuck. They weren't really able to mm-hmm. take root because of all of this 
the yes. implicit, <laughs> as you yes, were saying, exactly. that blockages yeah. the the protection there. Um, yeah, and and in our most whole um, state of being what we think because we don't want to throw out that thinking brain and and you know i really want to I, I i appreciate my talk therapy colleagues because that's valuable that's we and and the part of our brain that that thinks and and has cognition and and understanding that we don't want to throw that away we want to link it up because in mm -hmm. our whole in in our most whole state what we think and what we feel and what we say and what we do can all be in alignment. Mm -hmm. We can have all of that line up and sync together and be integrated. That's our goal. It's not yeah. to further disconnect. It's to actually be able to think about those things cognitively and in, in, a real time present day way, instead of getting hijacked by all of that implicit stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Mm -hmm. So how did, how did it come about that? You know, obviously you've been working as a therapist and you're using the EMDR. How did it come about that you decided to really focus on um, the relationship with career and work and business. And can mm -hmm. we speak a little bit about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would love to, because I would say the way I came to that, it evolved over time. I have always worked with people with trauma. I've spent pretty much my whole career in the mental health field has been in working with people um, who have experienced varying degrees of trauma. Um, and when I eventually got to the point where I was shifting into my own business, I realized that a lot was coming up. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, <laughs> there's some stuff to look at here. And, you know, I had already done a lot of my own healing personally, um, you know, prior sure. to that. And, but I think I didn't necessarily, I knew that my own history had impacted my career path very much. So I felt lost for many years. Mm -hmm. I very much replayed the lost child role in my career, because I did wander around for a long time, really not knowing who I was, what I was good at, you know, what I wanted, or that I was allowed to want things, and that I was allowed to set goals and go for them. I, I, I recreated that in my career path in general. But it wasn't until I got into private practice and was having all of these you know, like I said, I'm an innovator. I started having all these ideas about what I wanted to do. And then here come all of, here comes all the stuff. Here come the barriers. <laughs> you know, it's like, if you want to really work on your stuff, start a business. <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree. I think like as a professional, when you step out, you go, oh, this is a new growth edge for me. And now I'm mm -hmm. like, you're saying I'm having to confront all of these things that I had thought 
I had dealt oh. with, but no, not mm -hmm. completely, not really. Mm -hmm. Now they're showing up in a different way. Exactly, exactly. And so finally, I came to this point where I, I had done enough of my own work to feel like, you know, this really is, I believe, part of my mission to help other people because this in 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 full transparency i would say that my struggles in my career were the most painful um for me personally that was a very painful experience for me and i thought you know if i know like no one's talking about this yeah, I will. Yeah. I will tell you a story. So it was back in the late 90s, almost year 2000. And I it was probably like I was rock bottom during that time. I was really just like I said, lost. I was recreating that lost child role. I was just floundering. And, you know, I was I had a master's degree and I was working as a secretary. I mean, talk about a disconnect. Wow. So I just really was struggling. And I, I, at the time, you know, I was living in Cambridge in Massachusetts and I liked going to the Cambridge center for adult education to take classes. Um, and so one day I was flipping through the catalog cause we still used paper catalogs at that time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> and I saw this course and the title of the, I almost fell out of my chair when I said it, it said, the title of the course was Career Decisions for Adult Children of Dysfunctional Families. And I was blown away. I thought, what? You mean that's a thing? <laughs> you know, like that that is a thing? Like there's a reason why? Uh, like this has to do with my career too, like the, my, mm. pro, like my struggles, like I under, I had done, you know, therapy by that time. Like I, you know, I understood how it impacted me personally and it had absolutely impacted my own history had impacted me personally in terms of my self-esteem, in terms of my relationships, in terms of, you know, all of those domains of life that we think about, but I didn't realize until then there was a possibility that that was part of why I wasn't able to get my act together. And, you know, I'm being a little hard on myself there, but, you know, in my career, yeah. that, that, had a, that had an impact in that area of my life too. And I had never seen that before. And so I took the course and it was very um, enlightening for me. And, you know, I wish I could say I took the course and then I got it, you know, on track and it took, it still took a few years. It still took sure. a while and it's been a journey, but that, that course, and, and, you know, I, I wish I could, I wish I had saved the, the, you know, the syllabus. I wish mm -hmm. I knew who the, who the man's name was who taught it I actually have called the Cambridge Center for Adult Education and you know I asked them do they save old material they said no I wish I knew who this man was so I could tell him how much he helped me because that that was wow. a really amazing um, experience um, for me and I you know I do remember key 
points in that course, um, you know, that I still use today um, with my clients. And so it, it very much was a journey, but, you know, fast forward, you know, a number of years when I was, um, you know, like I said, I was entering into private practice, I was starting this business. And, you know, I realized I had some more work to do. And eventually, I felt like, you know, this, this is, is number one fun for me to help people with this. Yeah. because they have the same ahas that I did back then in the late 90s. <laughs> mm, that is fun. Um, yeah, it is fun. And, um, you know, I just felt like this is something that I can add. I, I have the experience with this. I, you know, yes, I can help people with their personal lives and resolving trauma there. Um, but this allows me to really blend a lot of my different passions. I, I love talking about business. Um, that's something I didn't know about myself until fairly recently in my life. I mean, I'm, I'm 50 years old and I, I've recently learned, I really like talking about me too. And marketing <laughs> and, and, you know, like, I love it. It's really, you know, so, so it, it's really allowed me to step into my fullest authentic self um, and, and it's really gratifying for me to see other people being more successful, stepping into their authentic selves, really claiming their calling and their purpose. That's really meaningful for me. I, I love that you're sharing this because I think that, um, it really serves to inspire other people to not discount their past experiences and the things that have been so transformative in their own life as a point of entry to really niche within their practice. Because as somebody who's had a lived experience with it, you're bringing, you're not to say that other people that don't have the same lived experience can't empathize, can't understand, but there is mm -hmm. a a sense of knowing in a different way. And when we have that experiential sense of knowing, we're able to talk about it and describe it in a way mm -hmm. that hits with our clients in a way that they feel very, very seen. And I think mm -hmm. it's difficult to do that when you haven't had necessarily had that full lived experience. Not that it's impossible. It is possible. It's just different. But I yeah. do hope that people listening, you know, really hear that journey, that arc that you went on to arrive so fully in the here and now with how you've created your business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think if, if you had told me back then that one day I was going to be sharing about my journey, if I, that I was actually going to be telling people about the thing that felt so shameful. I mean, I mm -hmm. really had so much shame for so many years because I was a person who was very high achieving from, you know, it's part of, it's a blessing and a curse. It's, 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 it's a great trait. It, it also came out of some painful early childhood experiences. My own perfectionism and and overachieving and all of that 
Um, and so I really did pride myself on doing well. And um, so it was very painful and shameful when I, I couldn't seem to do well, you know, mm -hmm. after like post, like after leaving the structure of school, yeah. um, you know, I couldn't seem to, to kind of quote unquote, get there. Um, and that was incredibly hard. And so if you had told me back then that I would be talking about this, that I would be specializing, in this, <laughs> I would have said you're out of your mind because, you know, I just, it, 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 it felt like there were just some wires that I couldn't quite get to connect up. And mm -hmm. I thought it was me. I thought there was something wrong with me. And now I realize there wasn't anything wrong with me. I just needed a different kind of support. I just, I needed to do, um, I, I, I needed help with certain things that, you know, that it wasn't me. There was no problem. I just needed help. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. And I, I can very much relate, um, mm. to that, that process of, I couldn't imagine speaking in public and like mm -hmm. being like doing all of these things, but that's, I think the work of being a therapist forces us to do so much internal of our own internal work. And, um, mm -hmm. and then, you know, going out into your own business also forces you to do more of your internal work and you really start mm -hmm. to push and grow and push and grow and you reach that edge and you're like, okay, like I'm, I'm ready to do the next thing. And I feel like at each edge, it's a ripple of the past, right? The ripple of the emotions of the past, the fear, the insecurity that like, mm -hmm. who do you think you are? to, to mm -hmm. do that. Nobody's going to oh. want to hear that. No, yes. right. All, all, all of it, batter. all of that. <laughs> and, and you're like, yes. okay, I hear you. I see you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. but I'm going to put yeah. you in the closet and I'm yeah. going to keep going. <laughs> you know, I think this is why, and this is my personal opinion. I think it's really important for us therapists to get out in the marketplace and share what we know about that because mm -hmm. you know and and I I really appreciate the coaching industry I know some excellent coaches I value that I have coaches I've been I've done coaching in the past like this this is not a knock on the coaching industry but I have seen isolated individuals sharing some information that in my opinion as a therapist is not helpful for people you know is is not what is going to help people move forward um and and so i think it's really important that like you were just talking about those those critical voices mm -hmm. you know i I, I was listening um, to a, a podcast from, you know, a, a well-known person um, and she was talking about her inner critic and how she 
um, had a name. I don't know if I, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Uh, sure. If you I'll, swear, I can, I can mark it off as, you know, um, explicit or I'll whatever. Just, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll fix it. I'll, I'll just fix it. You know, it, 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 she called her inner critic, her inner a-hole and, you know, had, <laughs> had this like, you know, had this sort of very antagonistic relationship with her mm -hmm. inner critic. And so as a trauma therapist, I'm hearing that and I'm saying, wow, there's, there's some inner self-loathing there. There, you know, if, if we aren't really able to turn toward all of the parts of ourself, if we aren't able to embrace and, and befriend and, and gently be curious about all of the parts of ourselves, even those parts that feel like a problem to us, yeah. like our inner critic, then we aren't able to really integrate and be whole and move forward. And, you know, so I hear a lot of things like that out in the marketplace from people that don't necessarily have the same training and, and, and therapeutic wisdom, <laughs> not that they don't have wisdom, they have other kinds of wisdom, but we might have more wisdom about these particular issues. And, and I just feel like, you know, we have more to say about that. We, we can help with that. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. I, the, the parts, the parts work is, mm -hmm. um, really powerful too. And yeah. when we can befriend the different parts and recognize, you know, their function, that how they, every part is here to help in some way um, and doesn't need to be an adversary. Mm -hmm. it, it frees us up and to, to move forward with mm -hmm. them there, um, but without mm -hmm. actually, you know, crumbling under their, under that voice. Right. You know, right. Yeah. We assign them a new job. I, you know, help, and you may do this as well. I'm sure a lot of people listening do this as well. Um, you know, it's kind of like I work with my clients say, okay, you know, they're under new management now. <laughs> what there's, we're changing their job description. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. You know, what job do you want to assign to this part of you now? We know what it used to do. It had to do it. Thank you for doing that. And so now what, what job do you want this part to do for you now? And, you know, that's how we move forward. And, you know, like any company, like any company, our internal, you know, company, we might enjoy certain parts more than others, but True. we can coexist. We can at least yeah. coexist. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that. So tell me a little bit about, um, what kind of patterns do you recognize that people carry with them that like halt their progress? I hear from many people, you know, I tried to go out in private practice and it just wasn't for me, or I tried for six months and I got nobody, you know, mm -hmm. I, I did the things that people were telling me to do and just nothing really seemed to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, what are, what are the the patterns do you notice that people bring with them that kind of halt their progress? Mm -hmm. 
Well, there are there are a number of them. Um, and I think here's where maybe if we go back to that explicit thinking brain, implicit, you know, emotional, physical memory brain that's carrying old stuff, we might say, okay, the part of our brain that's able to plan and, and arrange to go do private practice, like it sounds like that a person like that who says, okay, I'm going to go do a private practice. And I tried it for six months, but nothing, you know, it didn't work. Um, so their, their thinking brain was able to go out and, and make those arrangements and, and set up a practice and, and do all of those tasks that one needs to do to create a private practice. And maybe they, you know, set up their online profile direct in a directory somewhere. They did all of the thing, hashtag all the things, right? Yes. <laughs> so they did that. But if there is stuff in their implicit brain, like, I don't deserve to make more money. Mm, you know, one. it's not safe to make more money or it's not safe to be visible. Um, you know, I'm not confident that this will even happen. It's good things don't come to me. If you've got all that stuff sitting over in your right brain mm -hmm. to oversimplify things, <laughs> but you're over here in your left brain thinking, why, you know, like I'm doing the things, why isn't it happening? There's a disconnect. Mm -hmm. And so my guess is you might think you're doing all the things, mm -hmm. but are you really? And are you visible? Okay, you you put up a directory profile, but what does it say? And mm -hmm. are you telling people that you're in private practice? Have you emailed everybody you know and let them know that, hey, I'm open for business? Yeah, you know, that's so interesting because people will mm -hmm. say, well, no, I didn't tell my family. Yeah, yeah. So I think, <laughs> yeah, I think that one of the, one of the issues that I see a lot and, you know, you might as well is that invisibility mm -hmm. and the, the lack of um, ability to get really visible mm -hmm. and to ask for clients. This episode of the Creative Psychotherapist is brought to you by Florida Art Therapy Services. Florida Art Therapy Services is a proud provider of continuing education sponsored through the Florida Board of Clinical Social Work, Marriage and Family Therapy and Mental Health Counseling, and offers a wide variety of continuing education trainings on the topics of supervision, art therapy, and other requirements for Florida licensure. We are excited to be welcoming special guest uh, trainers, art therapists, Carol Cox and Amy Bucciarelli, who will be teaching a Mastering the Meaning of Mandalas training. 
It's a three day intensive training, which will allow participants to earn 20 hours worth of CEUs. And that's going to be taking place April 28th through 30th, 2023 at our Fort Myers office. Over the course of the three days, people will be exploring mandala making as a way to find identity and meaning through the lens of the life cycle. It's taught in a unique format, which incorporates lectures, meditation, music, and lots of artistic creation of mandalas as well. I took this training in 2019 and I was blown away by the content and it's altered my work uh, since having taken the training and I'm excited to take it again. And I really encourage you all to check it out. If you have any interest in deepening your understanding of the mandala and um, helping to use it as a, uh, a source of greater understanding with your clients, I highly recommend uh, checking it out. Amy and Carol do a phenomenal job. And you can learn more about that training and all the other trainings that we provide at Florida Art Therapy Services on our website, www.floridaarttherapyservices.com. Just click on the continuing education menu and you'll get a drop down and you can click on mastering the meaning of mandalas or one of the other trainings as well. Yes, we, we have. And some of this, so it's, it's so intersectional. It's personal history. It's also cultural, societal, racial, economic. I mean, there's so many layers to this as to, mm -hmm. I mean, let's, I mean, I don't want to go too far off into a tangent, but you know, therapy, the mental health field is largely female. We've yes. gone, we've gone to, it, it's largely female and largely white. Um, you True. know, we've, we've gone to institutions that taught us. I mean, I, I, I challenge you to find a therapist who somewhere from some professor or supervisor wasn't told we're not in this for the money. Oh, I hate that. Me too. I, that is, that is like one of my biggest <laughs> peeves yeah. because yeah. it is so shame inducing. It, yeah. it puts a cloak of shame on yeah. every therapist that tries to advance the system mm -hmm. because we can't mm -hmm. advance the system if we're not mm -hmm. able to fund the changes that are necessary. Exactly. And how can we do that? How can we ever do that if we're ashamed to take money mm -hmm. and believe that, that our service mm -hmm. isn't worth money or that, or that the, the, the kindness of our heart, the, like the giving part, that part needs to overshadow the earning part. Mm -hmm. This is an yeah. occupation. Right. I remember the moment in grad school when one of my professors said that I, I have, I talk about a visual I have, I mean, I'm picturing it right now in the, the classroom where we were, how we were sitting. I can see her face right now in my mind saying, we're not in this for the money. And I, I had this pit in my stomach at the time. And, and, and I thought, 
I, I, I literally felt panicked. I thought, well, I'm in it for the money because this is going to be my job. I mean, I this is my employment. Like I'm right. going this is my career. Like, aren't you supposed to make money when you work somewhere? <laughs> I'm not a volunteer. You know? Right. I'm accruing <laughs> like how much debt in order to acquire this degree worked, plus yeah, all the extra really hard. <laughs> yeah, worked really hard. Then the extra expense of what it costs yeah. to become credentialed or licensed yeah. after you graduate, that's yeah. not included. You can't take a student loan out for that. You know, yeah. most people on average are spending somewhere in the realm of 10 to $12,000 after they graduate to become fully licensed and credentialed with all of the application fees and testing fees and study prep and continuing education, all of that stuff. We're not, but we're not supposed to be able to read coop that if you make right. too much money then you should be ashamed you're not you know mm -hmm. it's it's yucky yes it why yucky. do we yeah. perpetuate this yeah well the way i see it is we many of us are drawn to this field because of our own lived experience i mean i i really I don't know very many therapists who don't have some sort of early attachment injury. <laughs> you know, we have our own stuff. That's why, that, that's why we're here. Most of us, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so we've grown up in families where we were taught to be codependent. And then we enroll in, in, in institutions in the mental health field that reinforce that codependence and, tell us that we shouldn't want to succeed or be abundant. And then we go into community mental health systems that reinforce that same message. And oh, then we wonder why we struggle when we, when we try to start our own business. We wonder like, why can't I do this? Yes. Yeah. I, gosh, I think that that is really powerful to really understand the nature of dependence, codependence, interdependence, and, mm -hmm. and how that does play out in some ways, even within our ethical codes of mm -hmm. how we're supposed to operate as therapists. And mm -hmm. I see a lot of dysfunction even there in, mm -hmm. in some yeah. of these things at the, the responsibilities that are doled out onto the therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. which yeah. I think are over, it, it, it takes over an individual's right to autonomous decision-making over their life. Yeah. It's overstepping yes. in some ways, but that's that codependent piece that you're talking mm -hmm. about, Yeah, but it comes yeah. from that place of insecurity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, these are the patterns we're bringing into our businesses, I've seen so many therapists basically recreate the whole community mental health vibe. In oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. And then wonder why it's not working and then wonder why it's not working. Yeah. You know, there's so much we could say about that. You know, there's also, I think sometimes there is this old, school idea that therapists shouldn't advertise, they shouldn't market, they should just sit and wait for clients to show up because it's undignified to 
get out in the marketplace and sell, which is, I mean, selling is service. Selling oh. is service. Selling is, is love. Selling is sharing your gift. <laughs> you, I, my, my men, one of my mentors, um, my coach, she, you know, she told me one time, you are not bothering people when you are telling them how you can help them. Yeah. Yeah. That's you so are not true. bothering people. But how many, you know, it's sort of taboo when we start, you know, getting in, like when we start treading into the waters of marketing, people get really confused about what the purpose of that is. <laughs> they, yes. they, they think it's, you know, they think it's to prove, and you, you see this on so many therapist websites, assuming they have a website, many therapists don't even have a website, but, and you know, you can probably build a successful business without one. Um, but if you have one, um, you look at it and it's all about them trying to prove that they are qualified in like, I went to this school, I specialize in, I was trained in this and that, as opposed to speaking what they know to their potential clients yeah. with boldness and confidence. Mm, boldness and confidence. Yeah. You're right. You're right. And I think that's the, that's the academia part that we have to kind mm -hmm. of unlearn as mm -hmm. we go out, right? The academia part pressures us to have all of all of this stuff and you know mm -hmm. that resume like that's what people are looking for and I think to a certain degree there are some folks out there that come from that so they mm -hmm. bring that they want to know like well have you been published have you done that they want to mm -hmm. know those things but by and large most people don't they just want to know if you can help them feel better and right. how you do that yeah, they don't care what you, and they don't even know what you're talking about when you, I was trained in TFCBT and, you know, DBT, blah, blah, you know, I mean, even as an EMDR therapist, because my particular modality, many people are looking for that. So sure. they might be searching specifically for EMDR like that, that is maybe an exception. Um, but even with that, I learned a long time ago, a modality is not a niche. No. I, 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 you know, lots of people do EMDR, but what, what is different about me? What am I offering that is going to help my people? Cause I'm not here to help everybody. And that's another, you know, hurdle, I think for a lot of people in private practice is that old you know, when you're in community mental health, you work with whoever you get assigned. You don't have, you know, or you can maybe state a preference, but there's this yeah. idea that I, I can't say no. Right. I can't, I can't turn a client away. I can't say because, because of the need or because I should know how to work with everybody or I need to be skilled in everything. I mean, one of the things I work with my consultees on is stop being the Walmart of therapy. 
Mm. You're not a superstore. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's so true. That's you're so a true. boutique. A boutique. Ah, I love that reframe. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You're yeah. not a super, superstore. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, I, I am a trauma therapist. I specialize in adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, attachment, early attachment disruption. That is my thing. If, if you want grief therapy, I'm not your girl. Mm -hmm. If you, if you're a couple, don't even think about coming to me. Cause I don't know what I, I, I will make it worse. <laughs> <laughs> I will probably make it worse. Yeah. That's... Do not even call me. Don't fill out my con. Don't like, don't do it. Yeah. No, I don't do couples either. Not you know, my jam. Mm -mm. It's not my jam. And you know, there's all kinds of other areas where I'm not, I'm not interested, which how dare you say you're not interested <laughs> in working. I actually saw this on a Facebook group, a, a, a big therapist oh. Facebook group one time, a therapist got really shamed for saying she didn't work with depressed people. And she got really raked over the coals. And I've seen that, you know, more than once where, you know, you're allowed to say what you want to do with your own life and career. So if you don't want to work with depressed people, you don't have to work with depressed people. So You're true. allowed to specialize in something else. Yeah. And, and so I think all of this, you know, the, the over-functioning, the codependent, the, the occupational codependence, mm -hmm. um, all the, the insecurity, the fear of being visible, um, the fear of authority. I mean, how many therapists are terrified of the big, bad insurance company or, you know, I mean, I could go on. I mean, there's mm -hmm. so much here that that is you know holdovers from both our you know academic past and our personal family of origin past <laughs> yeah I think that there's the other the flip side right of like you could be super afraid of the insurance company and like dealing with them but then there's the other piece of like feeling though, as though you have to, that you must take yes. insurance. Yes. We're trapped. I we're powerless. We don't have choices. And then let's not, I mean, obviously, like, don't even get me started on what happens to you as a therapist when you want to leave insurance companies. And then the real, <laughs> yes. you know, therapists can be brutal with each other. If, mean. if and, and this is why. I think it's so important to be in a community of like-minded therapists because mm. you really do need that support because there's plenty of us that are trying to change things for yes. ourselves. I, I don't know if I'm changing the system. I don't feel it's my job to change the system. I'm not interested in fixing the healthcare industry. I'm just kind of over here doing my thing. <laughs> but you say that, however, by helping people in the way that you're helping them address things within their business, you're, you're planting seeds and those mm -hmm. seeds will have a ripple effect that do contribute to change of 
the larger mm-hmm. system. Yeah, that's my hope. Way. That is my hope. Yeah, yeah. Because I, and you know, there are a lot of people out there who are in this camp of, you know, we want things to change. We mm-hmm. want to see therapists thrive. Yeah. In my opinion, therapists should be the healthiest, most abundant, well-balanced people around. And that is true for some, but it's not true for many. And, you know, it's that old, the exhausted, you know, over scheduled, resentful therapist stereotype, like, I want that stereotype to die. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I want that to go away. (laughs) I do too. I do too. And I think in order to, to have that die, we have to be having these conversations about Mm -hmm. that. It is okay to charge the fee that you need in Mm -hmm. order for you to thrive, whatever that may be, because every therapist life circumstance is different Mm -hmm. and what every person is able to physically and emotionally hold space for in a given week is going to vary during different seasons of our life. And, and that is never taken into consideration in a job, right? It's like, no, you got to meet your productivity. You got to meet, you know, you got to meet your productivity. If you don't meet your productivity, there's something wrong with you. You know, if you can't do it, you should find another job. Yeah. Tell you how many times I've heard Mm -hmm. people being told that and have been told Mm -hmm. that myself and in my first community mental health, um, job Mm -hmm. and, um, and go do some self-care so that you can go fix yourself and come back and meet our needs. <laughs> right. Take a, why don't you take a mental health day one day that's yeah. going to fix it? Cause that's the yeah. issue here. Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, it's really important in my work that I help people understand that self-care is not something that we squeeze in, in the cracks and crevices of our overbooked schedules it is something that is built in structurally into your practice in your schedule in your policies and in your fees Mm. can you can you speak a little bit more about how it is in your policies or in your systems in your business how therapists can do that yeah I think, you know, the, the probably most commonly thought of one is the cancellation policy. Um, You know, that's, I I hear, and I I feel like I want to give a caveat. So I am, people can make their own decisions. People have different ways of thinking about this. And I think that you have to find what works for you. I'm not I don't want to come across like I know the way for this to happen, but I do see a lot of therapists falling into that codependent pattern around issues like this and then telling themselves that it's working when I think it's clear that it's not. Um, 
And so, you know, enforcing those policies, holding your clients accountable, the idea that, you know, it's, oh, well, they were sick or they, they, you know, there was an emergency. And I mean, I know we're, we're kind of coming out of COVID and COVID's probably a whole different conversation, but even there, you know, you have the right as a therapist to conduct your practice in the way that works for you. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'll speak for myself, you know, in the past when I was doing weekly hour long sessions, I had that standard, you know, give me 24 hours notice. Or I started out with like the little fee, like, you know, or it's a $50 fee or, you know, something, something. And then eventually I switched the to whole fee. Whole fee. The and whole then fee. when I switched to EMDR intensives, the whole 24 hour notice thing no longer has meaning because if I've dedicated half of a day or in some cases my entire week to a client, that 24 hour notice no, is not meaningful anymore. No. So I, I adjusted and now it's, I need three weeks notice. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And a deposit. And I know, you know, like, I don't want to get too much into the weeds of all, like, cause this can get distracting for people like, well, deposits are unethical or they're not legal or all that. So, you know, just you do you, <laughs> you know, that's interesting. Cause I had to put a deposit down of so much money at the hospital before a surgery yeah. I had a few years ago. Yeah, exactly. So I think I, you know, I'm glad you said that because I think we need to challenge these conventions. Yeah. Because I now have a deposit, a three week cancellation policy, and it's not a, there's no refund. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so if, you know, like I, I have set up my policies and procedures really clearly. And, you know, unless someone shows me somewhere written down where it's illegal to do that, like that's my policy. <laughs> I, I spoke with another, um, therapist. She, all, her practice is also EMDR. Her name's Kristen Boyce. And she was on the show, um, a few episodes back. And she talked about how one of the changes she made was to say, you can't even schedule an appointment. You can't mm -hmm. schedule your intake appointment until you've completed everything in the portal, all of the intake mm -hmm. documents. Once those are complete and the office has confirmation that your documents have been completed, then they reach back out to the person to schedule the intake because mm -hmm. so many people would schedule and then they don't do the paperwork and then they don't mm -hmm. show up. So that was like one of the yeah. ways that they were able to reduce the amount of no-shows for their mm -hmm. intake. Um, yeah, there's just creative ways. That's an interesting point. And, and I actually do, I do something similar. I require the paperwork and the deposit to be paid before I will schedule mm -hmm. and it's not refundable. So if you don't show up for the assessment, I, I am still covered. Nice. Yeah. But that brings up another point, which is if you are seeing a lot of canceled assessments, and I mean, believe me, they happen to the best of us, it, it does happen. But if you're seeing a lot of that, in my mind, and you know, let me know if this is going too much into the business side, um, 
that means there might be a disconnect with your marketing because who are, if you're doing a good job describing what you do and who you do it for, then you've likely drawn in the people that are going to be a better fit for you and ideally wouldn't be seeing a lot of those cancellations for assessments. Mm-hmm. So I would, I if that was my consultee, I would want to work with them on, let's look at how are people finding you are they the right people for you? And what's the process? What's the onboarding process? Mm-hmm. So that you can firm that up and make it easier on yourself. And again, it's like this idea of we have to do all the adjusting. No, we want the right clients to come to us. When 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 I get on the call with, with a potential client for a consult, I've already, they've already received an email sequence that describes what I do, how I do it. I mean, they've gotten a lot of information already Mm. so that by the time we get onto the consult call, which I still do consult calls because it's important to me, um, I have colleagues that don't do them and that's okay too. Again, you have to find what works for you. But by the time we get on the consult call, the purpose of that call is not for me to be explaining a lot. Mm-hmm. It's, are you ready to schedule the assessment? What questions do you have? And when do you want to meet for the assessment? There's less convincing and explaining because that person already knows who I am, what I do and how I do it. Thank so you. they're showing up already pre-qualified, so to speak, mm-hmm. so that there's I'm not, I'm not explaining what EMDR is on a consult call. I'm not telling them how I do my intensives because they already have that information. So we're just talking about what are your questions and when do you want to meet? And I I think that might be too, like a difference between when you're by yourself and Mm -hmm. you're a sole practitioner versus Mm -hmm. being a group practice owner. Yes. Mm-hmm. And she's a group practice owner. And, yes. I, and, so, and like, so like there is a receptionist who's answering the mm-hmm. phone calls and then scheduling with different therapists within mm-hmm. the, within the group. Yeah. And, and I think uh, as a group practice owner myself and having come from solo to group, there's some systemic changes that yes. Yes, are that different on the front end there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree there are ways. Yeah. I would still wonder. Yeah. I would still wonder if there's a way to empower the receptionist even more to do some screening Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to, to train on what we're looking for and what are the, what are the things for, because each of those, and, you know, I definitely can appreciate the, I used to be part of a group practice, so I definitely can appreciate this. Um, each of those therapists is, is a unique, right. You know, individual provider, like, so that's, the, but I think the better the front end gets in, however, you're going to do that, the easier, I think we always have to be looking at our systems and looking at if something's not working, Yes. How, how can we improve that? And, and that's sort of a value of mine is like continuous improvement. And mm-hmm. I'm, and, and yes, it's much easier for me as a sole, sole practitioner than it is for a group practice. It's much simpler for me, but I think the same principle applies in that whether you're yeah. solo or whether you're a group, 
And no matter how big you are, actually, the bigger you get, probably the more important it is to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Where are the systems not working and and what can we tweak to get better and to get more of what we want? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, I agree. I agree. That is definitely an important part of growing, Mm -hmm. right? But we're, we're only going to be as effective as our systems, um, help us to be. And a bad system can really, um, break us down and cog the wheels. Yeah. And speaking of systems that, that brings to mind another challenge that I think a lot of adult children have, which is that addiction to excitement and really thriving in chaos. And that is something that many people recreate in their businesses, that the, the systems are all over the place. They are sort of always kind of someone once told me, you know, a client actually said this to me recently. She said, you know, even bad dopamine is still dopamine, you know, and, and it's something that my coach talks about too, like stop dropping the dopamine bombs into your business. A business actually should be boring. Mm. Yes. You're the foundation, the foundational systems of your business should be boring. There are other places in your business where you can bring in your creativity, your innovation, but the very foundation of your business should really be pretty boring Mm, to be sustainable, to be profitable, to be, you know, to, to really last in the long haul and to be healthy. It it's probably, and, and that, that idea of boring I'm just imagining people listening now who are reacting to that, who, (laughs) who are the people that I'm talking about, who really thrive in that, in that dopamine hit, in that addiction to excitement and chaos. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I can see that even within myself and having had to set up systems because in the beginning, I, I thought I did but they, I really didn't like, I, you know, it was kind of partly way, but I know that for me, when something is um, consistent and it is predictable and repeatable, um, Mm -hmm. that helps me to stay accountable to the system. If it also, it has to be simple. If it's too much of like, check this box and check that box and check, I can't, do that. It takes, it's, it's too much. And then I'm not going to do it. I'm going to avoid it. It really does need to have that boring appeal for all the back end stuff, right? Mm -hmm. It's okay to have a checklist, but every checklist doesn't need to have multiple checklists within the checklist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And when you find yourself being able to settle into that boring, you know, business of how it's running, Mm -hmm. you'll know that's, it's kind of a sign of, of health. It's a sign of we're moving along in our recovery when we no longer need that excitement that, and, and again, I'm not saying we shouldn't have fulfillment and be interested and engaged 
but that's different than being in chaos Mm -hmm. in our business. Yeah. Yeah. We want to avoid chaos, I think, Mm -hmm. as much as as we can. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of self-care in the policies, you know, really like making sure that we're creating those kinds of systems that help us to be really thorough. But I I also heard you really talking about the front end of the marketing piece of making sure that we're diving down and, and really funneling into speaking to our ideal clients in our marketing Mm -hmm. and in our first capture of their attention and, Mm -hmm. and giving them as thorough amount of information as they will need to make an informed decision, whether or not to book with us, mm-hmm. um, that that also is part of your self-care. Cause now you're not wasting your time. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not wasting their time either. Mm-hmm. And, um, talking about the fees piece of like building in policies around your fee structure, your, cancellation policies and such based on how you operate your business. Of course, Mm -hmm. everybody's business is going to be a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. And raising your fees regularly. That's all. That's a tough one for a lot of people. And, um, you know, but I, I will sometimes ask my clients, would you work for a job that never gave you a raise? Yeah you probably not. And yet that's what you're doing to yourself. Yep. And so there's where a lot of the, but I'll lose all my clients. And, and again, I'm, I'm speaking from experience in this too. I mean, I, I've felt all of these things at times, um, you know, it, it, there can be a lot of fear that comes up when you're thinking about expecting more from other people. Mm-hmm. And, but again, I think back to what you said a few minutes ago, we have to give people the respectful option of choosing for themselves. Yes. So this is what I'm doing. This is how much it costs. And you get to say yes or no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that piece is huge um, yeah. because if we're yeah. making those decisions, we're making those decisions based on a conversation that we had internally, not one that we had mm-hmm. externally with the client, which gives them the power to choose and is also mm-hmm. empowering for them. I think that's a piece mm-hmm. that sometimes gets missed. And I've heard multiple therapists talk about, uh, this in terms of, you know what, I raised my fees and I was scared. I was terrified, but nobody mm-hmm. left or I, I raised yeah. my fees and people actually thanked me and told me that I deserved it. And I was really surprised mm-hmm. by that. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I took two weeks off. I thought my clients were going to be very upset with me. I didn't think that I could do that. And everybody was mm-hmm. totally okay with that. Um, yeah. So we can surprise ourselves <laughs> when yeah. we, when we take that risk and we, we, you know, advocate for ourselves in that way, when we choose ourselves, you know, we, we learn that the world doesn't fall apart. And, you know, something I, I hear a lot is when client, when therapists will be in their client's business and they will say, well, I would raise my fees, but my client can't afford it. 
And that's probably one of the most common things I'll hear therapists say is that they can't afford it. And, you know, I, I try to help them see how they are, how that is actually very disrespectful to another adult that they don't know how to make decisions for their own life and their own money. Um, and that, that, that there's a codependence there that, you know, get out of your client's business that they get to decide whether they can afford it. You don't, you, you don't have to decide that for them. Right. And so I think that's a really common way that it shows up um, when therapists are making decisions based on what they think their clients are going to say about it. And they're fearing the, the reaction. And that's pretty much the definition of codependence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I'm so glad that you, that you followed up with that piece because I have heard that many times and I've been guilty of saying that myself. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it took a while for me to really learn about what I was doing to make sense of it in a different way and to say, oh gosh, that is not okay. Mm-hmm. It's not okay for me to determine that for somebody else. They get to determine that for themselves. And I don't really know what, I don't really have all the information to determine whether or not somebody else can afford something. I have no idea. I have no Mm -hmm. idea what other people's situations are. And oftentimes I think there is, um, there, it feels like an automatic need to renegotiate, um, a lower fee, like, oh, I'm just going to give you a lower fee, you know, because you didn't automatically say, yes, I'm going to take that appointment Mm -hmm. after you've disclosed the fee. Mm -hmm. But that too, I think, um, erodes the confidence the person on the line might have in you of like, oh, why are you so quickly now Mm -hmm. saying you'll take a lower fee? Do you not, are you not, do you know what you're doing? must not be good. I mean, that's, yeah, that's the, that's the, the thought that, you know, I mean, just basic psychology, like we assume that things that cost more are better than things that don't sometimes, you know, I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. sort of a natural kind of thought to have that, you know, really, are you, you, wow, you must, and that's not always necessarily true, but that's oh. the thought. Yeah. And I think that it's, it's reinforced even more when we say like, this is my fee, but I'll give it to you for this amount. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll work with you at this amount, um, without the client even saying anything right without the client saying, Oh, like, do you offer a sliding scale? That's a little mm-hmm. bit too much for me or, or what have yeah. you. Um, yeah. I've done EMDR. Yeah. I mean, I've done EMDR intensives with people who had a lot of financial resources and I've done EMDR intensives with people that had probably pretty limited financial resources as far as I could tell. Um, And, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes people come back and one of the people that has come back was one of the people who probably had the least financial resources of anyone I've worked with, but she saved up. Yeah. Because she, she wanted it. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't want to take that from her. So empowering. So empowering. Right? Those yeah. moments where we we commit to something like that and mm-hmm. save up and then do it and mm-hmm. then reap the rewards afterwards. Yeah. That's that's a life-changing experience. Mm-hmm. And um yeah. yeah, I'm so glad that you're sharing that too. And of course, I've made all the same mistakes too. I mean, I, 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 I think for me, a pivotal moment was when I was leaving a group practice when I was starting my private practice, and I was talking with a, a client about, you know, trend and and you know, the the group practice owner was great. She, we were in communication about, you know taking clients with me and all of that. So that was all above board and it was great. It really, um, I will be eternally grateful to her for that. Um, and so I was talking with a client about the fee that, you know, she would need to pay now that I was leaving. And this was a young client. So I, you know, in, in a moment of my own codependence, I got in her business and I was thinking, okay, she's in college, you know, she, probably doesn't have a lot of money because I'm thinking about my own college experience when I didn't have a lot of money, but, and, and assuming that that was her experience. So she's, um, I'm thinking she's in college. She doesn't have a lot of money. And so I told her that she could pay me the same rate that her insurance company had been paying, which was very low. Um, and so I offered if she wanted to continue with me, that she could pay that, that amount. And she looked at me and she said, that doesn't seem like enough. And so I thought, wow, here is this young person who is actually her parents are funding her her healthcare mm-hmm. and were more than able to pay yeah. whatever yeah. I was going to charge. But here I was getting in her business, assuming yeah. that she couldn't afford it because that was my own experience back in the day. And so I went for quite some time with really, you could look at it like a loss of income. Cause this, this is, you know, yeah. when we look at what that costs us over a year, Sure. That, that was the, that was a, a defining moment for me when I had this, you know, 20 year old sitting there telling me I wasn't charging enough. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. And then people are saying, oh, but you should be supervising people for free, but it's the same calculation (laughs) with greater liability risk. Mm -hmm. Um, right. Cause you figure how many hours of supervision do you need? A hundred to 150, some places it's 200 hours, depends on what state, but you know, those, those same applications apply to like that part of our business. If we provide that service. Yeah. And you Mm -hmm. accumulate, you're like, Oh gosh, over the lifetime of that, that's like 10,000, 12,000, $15,000 worth of income for one client. If I do 
more than that, right? Like I really think we have to be very strategic about doing pro bono or sliding scale work, but that could be a whole nother that could like, be a whole nother conversation. And I but I think it's an important conversation because I do practice intentional generosity in my practice. But the only reason I can do that is because, you know, my cup runneth over. Right. Right. So I, I, it's not that I'm sitting here, you know, saying we all need to scratch every dime out of every client that we can. It's, you yeah. know, we, we deserve to be paid for the high quality work that we're doing for the valuable work that we're doing. And I, I'm just really over the, the conversation around kind of proving that we deserve it or you know like minimizing our the value of our work and 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 this really does bring up another point which is that you know I hear people sometimes saying like charge what you're worth and I don't love that phrase because to me you're priceless you're Mm -hmm. A human being who is absolutely like we can't put a price on your worth right so I don't love charge what you're worth what I like better is charge what you need to make to live your life yeah I agree I agree do the calculations figure do the calculation right. and this is us this becomes kind of a self-limiting part of our system because what how do people usually set fees they look around at the therapists in their area they look them up on online they see what they're charging and they say well I'll charge five dollars less or I'll charge five dollars more or you know like they do this weird kind of comparison and you know I've done it too I, I before I knew better and you know it becomes this kind of self-limiting phenomenon where no one's making more because everybody's looking at everybody else and sort of like, it's like reverse chicken, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, we're right. keeping each other down when we do that. Um, yeah. you know, and so that would be like, you know, a restaurant looking around and saying like, what are all the other restaurants charging? No matter what those other restaurants are like, right. And say, okay, well, we'll charge that. Hmm. Yeah. No. Like, so true. You know, if like you can get a coffee at Starbucks, you can get a coffee at Dunkin' Donuts, you can get a coffee at Seven Eleven and Cumberland Farm. You can get a coffee in a lot of different places, but that coffee is going to cost something really different at each one of those places because each one of those places has different expenses and different needs. That's right. And is offering something different and a different quality, mm-hmm. right? Based on based on the quality of the product, based on the training of the people preparing the product and, and same with us, right. We're going to be, um, I think able to call in a a greater fee. At least I would hope so when we have experience and, you know, the credentials, the training, all of that adds up to and goes into our fees um, on, in addition to what is it that we need to survive? What is it that we need not just to survive, but to thrive in our own lives? Yeah. And, and then 
how much does it cost to run our business? Mm -hmm. And, you know, then we can set the fees. And if people say, oh, that's a lot of money, you know, the, if you don't, if you're not in business, then you might come to this conclusion that that person is charging $200 an hour, that they're actually earning $200 an hour. And that's myth. That is not accurate mm -hmm. um, because it's not taking into account all of the expenses and all of the time that mm -hmm. that has to cover for the unpaid work that that individual is responsible for, for running and operating this business. Cause we don't get paid to do the marketing. We don't get paid to write our web copy. We don't get paid to answer our phone or answer our emails. And all of that takes time. And that's built into that one fee, you know? Yeah. And it should be built into that fee because yes, there are, there are sort of un, there are certain tasks in, in any business that don't necessarily generate revenue. Right. And so the fee for the business has to cover those things. And I think and it's funny, I was just having this conversation with a consultee and I asked her, where do you go grocery shopping? She told me, you know, and I said, okay, when you go in there and you buy a loaf of bread, you're not just buying like the actual bread. You're, they have calculated what their costs are and they've put it into that cost of that loaf of bread. They had to pay somebody to get it there. They had to pay somebody to package it. They had to pay somebody to put it on the shelf. They had to keep the lights on. They had, to, you know, like there's all kinds of things mm -hmm. that go on that result in you being able to pick up that loaf of bread that day. And our business is the same. And mm -hmm. I actually do charge. My fees include the time I spend, like for example, my EMDR intensive is, is like a multi-day package. So I include time that it takes me to prepare because I actually mm -hmm. spend a lot of time preparing for those. I have a workbook that I have people complete ahead of time that I customize. I customize resources for them afterwards. That takes me time. Mm -hmm. So my intensive rate includes at the same hourly rate as my actual client time, mm -hmm. the hours that I spend on those tasks. So this is something important for us to pay attention to, because I would challenge people to look at what is your actual hourly rate when you look at all the other things you're doing in your day? That's right. Yeah. Ugh. Well, I think I could talk to you endlessly about this topic. <laughs> um, you've dropped so many pearls of wisdom and, um, and I'm grateful for that. And I know mm -hmm. one of the things that you shared is that you have a business relationship check-in download that mm -hmm. for listeners, if they wanted to do that, they could, where can they find mm -hmm. that Christy? Yeah, they can just go to my website. They'll see it right on top. And it, it's essentially a way of assessing their current relationship with their business and looking at what, what are, you know, how, how is this going? And I really do see, 
our business as a relationship. Mm -hmm. And so it, the, the, the check-in allows people to kind of, it's, it's kind of, it was kind of based on, I thought about it, like couples, you know, do like a couple's check-in. And I thought this is what, you know, we need this for our business. It's like, it's like a a check-in to see how are we feeling about what is going on. And so it gives people a tool to really assess how things are going, how they're feeling about it. I think that's great. And I encourage listeners to check that out and you can find it on Christy's website, which is simply her name, www.christy, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-E, pearl.com. And I appreciate so much talking to you today. Thank you. Thank you so much. I've, I've, I agree. We could keep going for so long, but this has been so enjoyable. And, and I, I, I really hold in my heart and intention that, that your listeners would uh, benefit from this conversation. I hope so too. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope you made it to the very end. Uh, she dropped so many pearls of wisdom in there and I was just so excited. I didn't want the conversation to end, but I had to end it because I had another recording right after and, but I could have talked to her about this topic for a really long time. She is, has put in a lot of, um, energy and, uh, and, and experience into understanding how these ways of relating impact us in our careers. And I love that she is focusing on that as a consultant and helping people break through, um, old patterns and, and shed those old patterns through, uh, what she's doing, um, with EMDR. Anyway, I highly recommend you check out her work. Um, you can find more about her at her website, uh, christypearl.com, and you can grab your free business relationship check-in, which is a you know multi-page um, kind of quiz that helps you to gain clarity around what's working and what's not working so well in your business and give some ideas of, you know, how you can help with that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the creative psychotherapist. If you like what you heard, please rate review and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts for show notes, downloads, and additional resources, head over to the website at www.creativeclinicianscorner.com.